Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. And if you have... um if you have a Bible, it would be great to, um, to turn to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 6. I was uh, in Oxford um, for three or four days this week and, uh, with a few of the guys from church, and we were on a learning community, and, and it had been hard, and it had been busy, and a whole bunch of concepts and ideas in my head, and, um, and we got into a taxi. It was teeming with rain. I mean, it really rains bad in England. I don't know what they say about us, but it rains bad in England. It was lashing it down. It was bouncing. And we got into this taxi. And I, I discovered as we got into the taxi, the taxi had a fish badge on the outside of it. Mm. And then and it became clearer because it had like Jesus loves you stickers all over the, the taxi inside of it. And the guy who was Tamil um, was trying to give me a Tamil tract. And so I explained that we were, you know, ministers of a church, and I was the pastor, and it was probably the biggest mistake of the week. Because at that point, he unleashed on me all of his issues, all of his challenges, all of his stuff. What he wanted to talk to me about was Islam. Oh, man. So I I kind of, I'm not sure I answered his questions helpfully for him. And then he wanted to talk about um, homosexuality. And I'm pretty sure I didn't answer the question the way he wanted me to answer the question for that. And then, and then he wanted to talk about alcohol because I kind of had a conversation with the guy in the back and suggested that we have a glass of wine when we get to the... And that wasn't good either. And so, and he looked at me and he actually said, and you're a pastor? <laughs> and, and it was just going worse and worse. And I, and I thought, um, do you know what? I'm just not going to engage with this conversation because it's going to go no place good. And at the end of it, I, I had this thing in my head. And the thing in my head was, I'm pretty sure that the God that I read about in the Scriptures and the God that I worship is more interested in a whole stack of other things than the things that you want to talk to me about. I'm sure he's much more interested in the way in which we walk looking like the way Jesus walks. I'm sure he's much more interested in us impacting the world in the similar way to which Jesus impacted the world. I'm sure he's really interested in, in work. I'm sure he's really interested in money. I'm sure he's really interested in how we deal with the ordinary things of our lives in a way that's compatible with Jesus Christ. I'm sure that's what he's interested in, and I'm sure he wouldn't want us to have a huge conversation about all these other issues that Christians seem slightly obsessed with. And that's why we're doing a series about work that we've called, I think, because I can't remember the numbers, 87,323. Was that right? Maybe, possibly. 87,323. Because that's the amount of hours that you will work in your lifetime. Depressing, isn't it? If you start work at the age of 18 and you continue in full-time employment until the age of 65 and you get to retire at 65 and you have a pension, those are the amount of hours that you're going to work, understanding that God is deeply interested in every single moment of your day. God isn't just interested in you read your Bible, you pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow. He is interested in those things, but he's deeply interested in every single part 
of our lives. And so today we're going to talk about money and how we handle money. And if you're thinking, oh man, I got out of bed an hour early to come and listen to a talk on money. I mean, really, I've got enough money issues in my life anyway. I've got enough work issues in my life and relational issues in my life. Can't the preacher just say something nice for about 10 minutes and then we can go and have coffee? Well, I'm sorry. But Jesus is really interested in money. There are over 2,000 verses in the scriptures about money. There are about 500 verses about prayer. That'll put it in perspective, won't it? 25% of Jesus' teaching is about what we do with the stuff that we have in our wallets or don't have in our wallets, depending upon how many children we have. You know, that, that's what Jesus is really interested in. He is really, really concerned with that stuff. So we're going to read some passages of Scripture, and then we're going to um, deal with some of Jesus' teaching. So turn to Matthew chapter, chapter 6, and a passage of Scripture that if you've hung around the Bible long enough, uh, you will know really well, um, but we're going to teach on it and find out what Jesus has to say. Jesus has got an alternative investment plan for you. He says this, verse 25, verse, verse 19, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You, you cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? I mean, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Clearly, some of us don't worry about clothes. <laughs> See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And now turn, if you have a Bible, to Philippians and chapter 4. And the Apostle Paul uh, writes, and he says this. You'll need to remember that the Apostle Paul, when he writes Philippians, is in a prison cell. And uh, he's, uh, he doesn't know how long he's going to live. But he says this, verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned but had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 
I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to be in plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Let's just pray, shall we? Father, we have this um, audacious belief that this is your living, active word. And we, we not only have a belief, we have an experience that when we gather around it, you speak to our hearts and you change stuff. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Convict us, change us, challenge us, and lead us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in this series on work. And uh, we've been saying that not only is God really interested in it, it's really pertinent that we've been in this series because like work is experiencing this perfect storm at the moment. Uh, there are many of us who feel uh, completely insecure around our work because, you know, there was a time when you had a job for life. You know, my granddaddy was a cobbler and he had a job for life. He made shoes and he started at the age of 16 and he ended at the age of 73 and that's the job that he did. But for us, we may not have a job in three months' time. Or if we have a job in three months' time, it may be a different job than the one we've got now. We may have six or seven different jobs in our life and there's no security around it. And for others of us, we're just really concerned with the incessance of work. You know, there was a time when you used to be able to take a holiday and, and, and nobody could contact you and no one can get, get, get in your face, but now you have your iPad and your iPhone and it's constant, it's 24-7 and it's all the way throughout your holiday and people can just get hold of you the whole time. There really is uh, no end to this thing called work. And we've been saying that God is really interested and he has things to say. And he is really deeply interested in money. He's deeply interested in, in, in how we use money and what we do the res, with the resources that he's given to us. He's deeply interested in, in, in us using these things to bless people and not using people to get money. He's interested in how we deal with this stuff. And he recognizes that we're experiencing kind of a perfect storm around money as well. How do we keep paying our mortgage? How do we buy the more things that we think that we need? How are we going to provide for our retirement? How many years are we going to have to work? How, is it, how are we going to get our kids through university? How are we going to pay for that kind of stuff? How am I ever going to be able to get on the housing ladder? How are these things going to happen? Because money is such a huge issue for us. And how in the world am I honestly going to be able to glorify God? and honor him with the stuff that's in my wallet and in my bank balance and on loan from the same bank. How's that going to happen? It's a huge, huge issue. And it's an issue like it probably never has been before. The pressures on us are huge. I mean, there is this desire in our hearts to want more and more stuff. How many of you have got an iPhone? Come on. How many of you are not going to put your hand up whatever I say today? Brilliant. Excellent. So 
You've got an iPhone, and what happens is this. It's very, very clever. You get an iPhone, you think it's a thing that you always wanted to have. And then you begin to realize you need more apps for your iPhone. You don't really understand the word apps yet, but you're going to understand it later. You know that you need apps because your children told you apps is the thing to have. You get some apps on your iPhone, and then you realize what you need is more music because it's not cool just to have three beats on your iPhone. You need a whole stack of stuff, and you need a variety of things, and so you get a whole bunch more music. And then you fill your iPhone up, and then you think, I need an iPhone case for my iPhone. That looks cool because all the iPhone cases just make it look clunky, and it's a beautiful thing. And I need to protect it because someone smashed their iPhone once. And you've got all this stuff going on, and it's incredible. And then you get everything you need, and then Apple do something incredibly cool. They have a press conference, and they say, You used to love your old iPhone. But here is a cooler iPhone. And you think, I'm not going to be suckered into that stuff. My iPhone is perfectly reasonable. I can probably have my iPhone until I die or retire at the age of 92. It'll be no problems with my iPhone. But within three weeks, you want that iPhone. You don't admit it, but you desperately want that iPhone because it's slimmer and cooler and looks nicer. And you can put more music on that iPhone. And they have suckered you in. When I was growing up, It was very, very simple in life. You left the house. You came back to the house. If you had to contact mum, you asked your friend if you could use their phone, which was attached by a lead. And then you always had an excuse as to why you didn't contact mum and you were late. It was just very simple. When I was younger, I'm going to have a rant now. When I was younger, the, the hot drink conversation was very simple. It was tea or coffee. Do you remember those days? If you were really good and it was the middle of winter and mum was feeling really nice, you might get hot chocolate or something like that or even Horlicks, but basically it was tea or coffee. And that meant instant coffee, mellow birds. Do you remember mellow birds? That was horrible stuff. Or it was builder's tea. That was it, wasn't it? That was basically it. Now, goodness me, what bean? How do you want it ground? What region do you want it from? Do you want it cappuccino? Do you want it latte? Do you want it macchiato? Do you want it fricasseed? How do you want your coffee? And don't get me started on tea. I mean, tea used to be kind of builder's tea, you had tetley tea, and now you've got Earl Grey, Lady Grey, peppermint, fruit tea that smells lovely, tastes revolting. Do you know, do you know? Life is so incredibly complex. We're driven to want more and different and choices. And if we're not careful, it's just killing us. And Jesus says, there's a different way. There's a different way. How much is enough? That's a question, isn't it? How much is enough? How much, how much is enough? How much is excess? How much is suffering? What do I want? What do I need? I wonder if those, the answer to those questions, and we could spend hours talking about that, I wonder if the answer to those questions is, is actually strongly linked to who you're hanging out with. You see, how much is enough? 
There's a different answer to that when you're in India, isn't there? Than the answer when you're hanging out with your posh friends who've got a bigger car and a nicer house and go on better holidays. Something that goes on in your heart, isn't there, when, when, when you're with people. The environment is everything. So what if we're hanging out with Jesus? What does he say enough is? What does he say our needs are? How does he provide for our, our wants? What's, what's going on with all that stuff? You see, the Apostle Paul is writing and he's saying, I'm in a prison cell. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to be in plenty. I know what it is to be beaten up. I know what it is to be shipwrecked. I know what it is to experience persecution for my faith. I know what all that stuff is. I know what it means to travel around the world. I know what it means to to, to live for this thing, and I know what it means to follow Jesus. And I have learned to be content in any and every situation. Why? Because he's learned to hang out with Jesus. That's why. So all I want to do uh, this morning for as long as we've got left, and who knows how long that might be, is I want just to hang out with Jesus. And so what does Jesus have to say about this money thing and how I use my money in my workplace and how I don't over-leverage things and how I don't wring people dry and how I don't think that I need more profit than I need and how I use money to love people rather than loving money and using people because that's easily done. How do I do this stuff? So let's turn to that passage in Matthew chapter 6 and let's, let's read what Jesus says. Jesus says something really interesting. He says, I've got a new investment strategy for you. And the investment strategy I I have for you is based on the kingdom of God. And it's a strategy that you probably never thought about before, but it's a strategy that I want you to begin to live. And you see, Jesus knows about money. You might think that Jesus is just this holy dude who's walking through the world, not touching anything that's unclean, but he knows all about money. He knows about the tyranny of money because he's grown up under Roman occupation. And they took huge taxes of the people of God. He knows about money because in his gang there's a tax collector. In his gang there's a guy called Judas who keeps the silver. He knows about money. He knows about money because he calls a short man out of a tree called Zacchaeus and he says, I want you to deal with your money issues. So he knows all about money and Jesus says, there's a different investment package that I want you to have than the the investment package in this world. He says this, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other stuff, I'll add it to your account. I want you to seek first, better translation, I want you to seek first the kingship of Jesus, the rule and the reign of Jesus in your life. And then I want you to seek the restorative justice of the kingdom of God. In other words, I want you to invest everything you have in spiritual capital and in relational capital. I want you to love me and I want you to love people and everything is going to be okay for you. There's a different kind of investment strategy. Now, now sociologists and, and, and economists work out that there are a whole number of capitals that you can invest in in life. So they'll talk about um, financial capital, you know, the, the money that you've got, the, the stuff that you have, the houses that you own, if you own any. They'll, they'll talk about um, physical capital, 
time, your energy, your strength. Uh, they'll talk about your intellectual capital. And looking around the congregation today, I would say it was high. Uh, they, they, they talk about your intellectual capital. They talk about your, your social capital or your relational capital. Is this making sense? Relational capital. And what they don't talk about, but Jesus talks about an awful lot, and maybe they do sometimes, your spiritual capital. And Jesus says, I want you to seek first the kingship of God and his restorative justice. So what I want you to do is I want you to spend your life investing in this stuff, because this stuff is eternal. And what I want you to do is I want you to build this stuff And then I want you to leverage it so that you might get this stuff. I want you to build your financial capital, and I want you to build your physical capital. I want you to get strong. I want you to use your time and your energy. I want you to get intelligent and use all the resources that I've given to you. And then I want you to leverage it so that you might love people and you might love God, that you might seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I want you to turn the whole deal on its head. Because you see, the way in which the world so often handles stuff is the other way around. It'll say, do you know what? Why don't you leverage all your relationships, all, your, all the people that you know in your life, your family relationships and your friendship relationships, so you might get more capital. You might get more money. Why don't you give up on God? Because if you give up on God, then you'll get more time, more energy and effort to focus on yourself, and you'll be able to build these other things. And Jesus says it's a false It's a false economy. It's not going to work. I want you to seek first the kingship of Jesus and his righteousness. I want you to seek it in your work. I don't want you to cut corners so that you might get ahead because that's not God's way. I don't want you to fill your expense account so that you might get a bit more cash because that's not building spiritual capital. I don't want you to screw people and to wring them out as much as you can because you'll get more profit out of it because that's not building relational capital and spiritual capital. All that's doing is getting your bank balance big and one day all this stuff which is temporary will be gone and you'll have nothing. Jesus says it's foolish. Because the thieves break in and they steal. And stuff gets rusty. And your pension pot that you built into forever doesn't have any money in it. And the floods come and you didn't have insurance. And it will just destroy you. But will you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? The choice is this. God or money. Scripture writers calls it God or mammon. That word mammon is is the Aramaic word for wealth. It's the word for for acquisition, for stuff, for things, for the finances of your life. And the challenge is this. Are you going to live for the stuff or are you going to live for the creator? And the byproduct of investing this way is that you stop being so anxious about your stuff. Jesus says you've got all this stuff in your life and you you earn so much money, but you're anxious about it. And it's because you've decided to be an owner of everything rather than a steward of everything. See, here's the deal. God at the very beginning of time set up this world and created you and me 
so that we would look after God's stuff. He never said, I want you to own it. He didn't say, I want you to own property, and I want you to own people, and I want you to own this world. He said, I want you to steward it. I want you to manage it. I want you to be my managers. And we get to enjoy it, but we get to manage it. We get to hold it like this rather than like this. And every single problem that we face in this world stems from that moment when we said no. We said, you know, we're not going to manage stuff. We're going to own it. We're not going to just do what God wants. We're not going to glorify Him. We're not going to walk in lockstep with Him. We're just going to own the stuff and we're going to hold on to it. So every poverty issue, every war issue, every violence issue, it's because we owned it. We said, we want out this stuff. It's ours. Jesus says, you know, the problem with ownership is you're going to carry anxiety. Every moment of every day, you are responsible for your financial world, and you're going to carry it to the grave if you insist on being an owner. It will stress you. You have plenty of things to wear, but you think you have nothing to wear. Check out your wardrobe. (laughs) You have plenty of things in your life, but you think you don't have things in your life. You have plenty of insurance because you have a heavenly Father who loves you, he says. And then Jesus starts telling these stories. He says, you know, check out the birds. I mean, they're incredible. They're clothed. They're beautiful. They have stuff provided for them. And check out the flowers of the field. It's just incredibly abundant. And how much more do I love you than I love the birds and I love the fields? Can you not trust me? Oh, you have little faith. And who of us by worrying can add a moment to our lives? Side comment, you probably take moments away by worrying. So trust in me and seek first the kingdom of God. And I'll do your deal. I'll do your deal. If you will take everything you have and you will invest it upwards... If you will take all the financial stuff I give you and all the physical stuff I give you and all the intellectual stuff I give you and you will invest it upwards. If you will invest in my kingdom, I will invest in your kingdom. And you get to stop being anxious about everything. Isn't that incredible? You're just going to go, God, it's yours to deal with. That's an incredible thing. And that's just a byproduct of what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is really doing is he's inviting you and I with our fiscal world to invest in living his kingdom. And the investment strategy is this. Seek first the kingship of Jesus. As you work and as you trade and as you do deals, as you spend your cash As you walk through this world, every single financial decision is a spiritual decision. Every single time you open your wallet, every time you click on your website, every single time you make a deal or you seal a deal, it's an opportunity for you to embrace the kingdom of God with its peace and its abundance, with its love and its grace, with its generosity, with its truth and with its joy. And that's huge. It's huge because the whole default system of this world that we live in is orientated this way. It wants you to live in fear that you're not going to have enough. It wants you and I to live in in selfishness that we just got to look out for number one in, in individualism. It wants us to invest in greed 
We need more stuff. I mean, how many shirts is enough shirts? How How much food in your freezer is enough food in your freezer? And every single moment, we have an opportunity to make a kingdom decision. I'm going to live investing in relational and spiritual capital because I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. And I'm going to seek his restorative justice, which means that every single moment we have a question. The question is preservation or restoration. Am I going to live my life just seeking to preserve the status quo where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and the haves have more and the have-nots have less and we just go, well, God's going to sort it all out in the end. It's going to be okay because we're going to get to heaven and it'll be fine. Or, or are we going to actually participate in God's redemptive plan to restore all things? Jesus says this. Do you know the, the investment plan looks like good news to the poor? Hmm. That'll throw a can amongst the pigeons. It, it looks like release for the prisoners. That's what it looks like. It looks like the year of the Lord's favor. So it looks like a, a, a kingdom of generosity where you give and you don't always get back. It, it looks like restorers of streets with dwellings. It looks like we get to restore the broken and dislocated pieces of this universe as we walk in, in, in partnership with a God who loves this world. And every single moment of every single day, every single financial decision, we get to make, we have an opportunity to make that decision. Are we going to live just building financial capital and physical capital and intellectual capital so we can go to our graves and say we left an inheritance for the kids and we lived in a nice house all our lives? Or are we going to participate with a God who says, I am here to restore everything? (laughs) Rant over. So, why don't we stop shopping as a hobby. Have you ever stopped for a moment and thought how ridiculous that is? I mean, if you need something, go get it. And if you really want something, go get it. Choose it. Buy it. There's nothing wrong with it. And to be honest, this is not God. This is just me. Buy once, buy well. Buy something nice. You don't have to live in a poverty spirit where God just doesn't want you to have nice stuff. Oh, I want you to have nice stuff. God wants you to have nice stuff. Enjoy yourself. But why would we do this thing where we walk around shops and and get tempted by everything that this world wants to throw at us and says, you need more, you need faster, you need better, you need shinier, you need different? Why don't you give up shopping and start investing? So I think, you know, I'm going to take everything I've got and leverage it for the kingdom of God. Because time is short and God is good and people are messed up. And it's about time we did that. Why don't you stop comparing yourself with everybody else? Because it's a stupid thing to do. Because everyone is better than you. Everyone's better looking. Everyone's got more money. Everyone's deal is better, whatever. You know? Not really, but that's how it looks. And why don't you start comparing yourself with Jesus? Hey, what would it look like to represent Jesus in this world. Now that would be a really good investment, wouldn't it? And how would that change my workplace? How would that change the way I talk about money? 
How would that change the way I invest with my money? How would that change the way in which I spend my money? How would that change the way in which I deal with my clients? And could we just, step by step, redeem something of the financial world? And that's why we don't just need missional communities and missional community leaders. We do need them. We need missional communities who do square holes. We need missional communities who do ox gangs. We need missional communities who do street lights. We need all that stuff because that's something about restoring the beauty of the kingdom of God wherever we go. But we also need kingdom bankers and kingdom economists and kingdom politicians and people who will say, we're not just going to get people out of the river when they've been thrown in. We're going to work out why people are being thrown in the river and we're going to start taking all this stuff that Scotland has, that Britain has, that Europe has, and we're going to start investing it in the kingdom of God because this stuff is eternal, this stuff is temporary, this is wise investment, and this is a really bad investment. And I think probably that's all I've got to say about that. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, I, I, I pray that you take the stuff that really was of you and speaks to our hearts. And you sink it deep so that we would ask the question, what is enough? And what is a wise investment? And what does it mean to build the kingdom of God in all its beauty and all its justice? And blow away on the wind anything that was unhelpful and fleshy and of the preacher. But that we would be those who leverage what you've given to us for the glory of God. That people would know you and that this nation would be changed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's spend some time just worshipping and responding. Do you know, I I always think it's a bit weird when we talk about things like work and money and how do do you respond to, to that stuff. Well, do you know, God is really interested in all those icky details of our lives. What we spend money on, what we do with our time and our lives, what we watch, what we think about. Maybe just now is an opportunity to bring it to Jesus. Jesus, you already know my bank balance. You know what I do with my money. You know where I spend it. You know how I use it. You know what I do in my workplace. You know the challenge of how I deal with people. You know the priorities of my life. And Jesus, I just bring it back to you and say, you're Lord. And I would really love to be an investor in your kingdom. I'd really love to leverage what you've given to me, whether it's a little or whether it's an awful lot so that you would be glorified and that your kingdom would come and this city would be changed and this nation would be different because I chose to invest kingdom. I chose to invest in the kingdom.